So wonderful to see you all. Thank you for being here. Sorry for our late start today. Um, but I'm so glad you're here and I'm glad you're here on Lagba Omer. What a wonderful day Lagba Omer is in the holiday, not only marking the end of these uh, deaths in mass that occurred historically, but also um, it is kind of the founding day of, um, of Jewish mysticism, celebrating the Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who we talked about in our Plato session. And it is a day that fills us, can fill us with wonder and mystery and a sense of, um, of, of the possible. And so today, friends, we're gonna be talking about Averis. Um, I did wanna offer comments on last session. Our friend Gary had said, and another friend kind of reinforced here, um, you know, that it's been a lot of kind of God talk. And what we're gonna see is that philosophy and theology in the early um, thinkers is very intertwined. But as we get to modernity, we're gonna see a total break, uh, not a total break, but a very strong break from that trend where ethics become central, questions of meaning, questions of purpose, um, um, a lot of skepticism, and a lot of theological um, assumptions are gonna be challenged. And so this is our second of two um, among the Arabic thinkers. And again, in the Western world, um, we don't talk as much about them, but it's really hard to not include them um, given kind of their initial advancing of the of the Greeks into the medieval times. And so we're gonna talk about um, Averroes today, but before we go to Averroes, let's talk, some people pronounce it Averis, like they're speaking fastly, but some people say Averroes, but they pronounce the O. In any case, um, let's start with a poll question on our subject for today. If religion and reason contradict, option one, I choose reason. Option two, I choose religion. Option three, I don't see any contradictions. Or option four, the way I embrace both, when there's a contradiction, I ensure they work together. All right, 25% say I choose reason. Nobody says I choose religion. 8% say I don't see contradictions. And 67% say um, I, when I embrace them, I, I work it out. I work it out so they're in sync. Okay, very interesting. That is going to be relevant to our conversation today with Averroes. So friends, do reason and religion contradict? And if so, what are we supposed to do about that? These questions are far older than we might imagine they are as we learn from studying the work of Averroes. By examining how this debate played out about 900 years ago, perhaps we can gain a better understanding of how we should address these topics today. Averroes, known in, in Arabic as Ibn Rushd, was a scholar of both philosophy and religion, the first of our philosophers to be deeply entrenched in religious life. Born in Cordoba, he was a, a Qadi, or an Islamic judge. He decided matters of Islamic law by issuing fatwas, the direct equivalent of rabbinic responsa, like a rabbinic ruling, they call it fatwa. In, in effect, he was in Islam, what Judaism would call a rabbi, or maybe even more specifically, a posik, like a, a religious uh, legal authority. He worked under a very strict regime, but still found time for his philosophical efforts and spent his nights writing commentaries on Aristotle. Inspired by Aristotle, Averroes believed only the social elite were really capable of complex higher order thought 
and that most Muslims should accept the Quran literally at face value. However, this approach wasn't unusual for his era. In the Jewish tradition, Maimonides felt similarly and made clear that he only wrote his guide for the perplexed, known as the Mora Nevuchim, for those educated sufficiently in the ways of philosophy, right? The masses should get dumb religion and us elite intellectuals should get smart religion, right? And we're okay with um, um, both having each, right? The, uh, the one who doesn't want to think can think of God as, a, as an old guy with a beard in the sky, waving to everyone or sitting as a judge. But obviously kind of someone who's more intellectual is, is not interested in seeing a man with a beard um, as a judge up in the sky. Um, and so we want to make sure we correct those mis misconceptions. So what is exceptional is that Averroes embraced the philosophy of Aristotle and rejected religious fundamentalism. He believed that the Quran didn't accurately portray the universe in a literal sense, and that philosophy was needed to better understand religious truths. Rather, the Quran was better understood as a poetic expression of religious truth conveyed allegorically to make the truth accessible to the masses. Right, that let the masses think um, that this is all literal. These 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 magical stories are what really happened. But us intellectuals understand these. Are, this is all allegory. A similar view was held by another religious thinker from Cordoba about four centuries later, the Kabbalist rabbi Moshe Cordovero, known as the Ramak. He too criticized the simplistic simplistic notions of God held by the masses and argued that through learning they could achieve a more sophisticated understanding. Here's what the Ramak wrote. An impoverished person thinks that God is an old man with white hair sitting on a wondrous throne of fire that glitters with countless sparks, as the Bible states. Imagining this in similar fantasies, the fool corporealizes God, He falls, which means gives God a body. He falls into one of the traps that destroy faith. His awe of God is limited by his imagination. But if you are enlightened, you know God's oneness. You know that the divine is devoid of bodily categories. These can never be applied to divinity. Then you wonder, astonished, who am I? Am I a mustard seed in the middle of sphere of the moon, which itself is a mustard seed within the next sphere? So it is with all the spheres in, in, inside the other. And all of them are a mustard seed within the further expanses. And all of these are a mustard seed within further expanses. As you learn to understand God as truly infinite, your awe is invigorated. The love in your soul expands. So he wants to move us towards an abstract um, meta level of how we might think of the cosmos. Very different than kind of a child's imagination of what is above and what is below and who is in control. The major difference, however, between the Ramak, who we just discussed, and Averroes is that Averroes was less bothered that the unlearned masses would maintain a simple theology, while only the educated would strive for a more scientific and philosophical worldview. The Ramak, however, seemed to want all Jews to move beyond a literal meaning of religious language and replace it with a more sophisticated system of mystical symbolism. Right, just in case to make sure that was clear, Rabbi Cordovero wanted to be sure that all people moved along in their theology. There's no reason to infantilize people. Um, whereas Averroes was okay with adults who weren't sophisticated, you know, having a childlike understanding. If that makes them happy, gives them meaning, you know, because them to hey. Averroes believed those with access to education had a religious obligation to engage in theology with a philosophical lens. However, this only applied to the elite and not the masses. 
Within this way of thinking, Averroes held that any time Aristotelian thought contradicts the Quran, Muslims must reinterpret the Quran in order to reconcile it with the truths of philosophy. That's really radical, right? You're not going to find fundamentalist Islamists today say such a thing. You might find progressive Muslims say such a thing. But this was a big deal, right? You're going to reinterpret the Quran to work with philosophy. This is a crucial intellectual move for people committed to traditional religion to be able to say, I am committed to the truth of my sacred text, and I'm committed to what we understand about reason, and therefore the sacred text must be reinterpreted so philosophy and religion are compatible. Rav Sadia Gohan, that taught that when reason and revelation contradict, one must go back and re-examine both. If there seems to be a clash, it must be the case that there is just a misunderstanding. Either our reason is flawed, or the revealed text has a different meaning that we originally thought. Either way, we must be willing to engage in serious intellectual work to ensure the two become aligned. Right? Those who take religion to be perfect as it was revealed and to be complete, say, you're a human reason. What a weak, what a weak human being you are. Your reason is nothing. It's just assimilated into the thinking of your day. Right? But re revelation, that's the word of God. It should always outweigh your weak human faculties. Right? So these guys are saying over here, uh-uh, reason is a part of a divine gift as well. God planted reason within the human being. And when that reason contradicts, we are to take it very seriously. For Averroes, his study of Aristotle ultimately caused him to give up the traditional Islamic notion that the world was created by God. Instead, he affirmed the Aristotelian view that the world did not have a beginning and was instead eternal. It has always existed and will always remain so. On the other hand, Averroes also reinterpreted Aristotle. For instance, he maintained the fundamental Islamic belief in the resurrection of the dead and felt that rejecting the immortality of the soul was heresy. While many traditional Islamic theologians criticize philosophers for not believing in bodily resurrection, Averroes sought to defend the belief and understood it in a more nuanced way. He argued that one is reborn into the world beyond after they die, but their body will not be the same as it was in this world. Rather, it will take on elevated attributes necessary for a higher spiritual existence that we cannot yet fully grasp. The afterlife in this way of thinking is highly intellectualized, right? This is not Hollywood where you're dancing on the clouds, you know, with a margarita, you know, holding the hands of all your loved ones who have died, and you are, um, it's amazing how influenced we've been by Hollywood in this regard, that how heaven is perceived, um, you know, that, um, that we've all have our bodies back and um, are just in bliss, you know, in a, in a hot tub or playing pickleball all day, whatever you want to be doing in your time over there. The afterlife in this way of thinking is highly intellectualized. Averroes is saying if one grasps eternal truths, they live forever through those truths. But if one doesn't grasp them, they die with their body by not attaining what is eternal. That, this is radically different from a, a typical fundamentalist reading of religious text, or, the, or once again, the Hollywood image of heaven that consists of people holding hands with their loved ones and dancing through the clouds. Nothing against that. That's just th these guys' critique. Due to his willingness to reinterpret religion in light of philosophy, Averis at times received strong opposition from his fellow Muslims. They banned his books, and in 1195, he was personally exiled. Though the ban was subsequently canceled two years later, and he returned to Cordova, 
he died the next year. In the 13th and 14th centuries, his works were translated into Latin and Hebrew, which enabled him to have an enormous influence on Christian and Jewish thinkers, particularly those who had an interest in Aristotelian philosophy. So what should the thought of Averroes mean for Jews in our time or for any modern person in our time? While we're not beholden to Aristotelian philosophy today, there remains a need to reconcile theology with reason, because reason perhaps is God-given, holy, and true. It must be granted as much weight, if not more, than the literal readings of religious texts. Without reason, religion easily falls into fundamentalism. And therefore, it's crucial that one maintain a commitment to both the integrity of religious texts and the need to frequently reinterpret them. This ensures that religion's timeless values survive while religious texts can still remain open to new layers of meaning that reason can help us unlock. Part of the way Judaism manages this tension is through the idea, the idea of the oral Torah, which serves to expand upon the written Torah. The ongoing process of midrashic interpretation of the written Torah compels us to constantly engage the text in new ways and develop new understandings and applications for it. In religious life today, there's a tendency to eschew tradition in favor of progress or rigid, rigidly cling to simple understandings of the past at the expense of letting religion breathe and grow in the present. Averroes can serve as an example for how to pass on eternal truths while maintaining our intellectual integrity. Judaism is layered, Rabbi Art Green teaches. The rules of the game were, you never deny the truth of the, of the prior layers. You just reinterpret them. Such a statement feels almost directly in conversation with Averroes, who thought when his religion didn't make sense, he needed to not throw away his religion, but to add to it. Confronting the problems and contradictions of religious thought in a direct manner is sometimes scary. It often requires great courage to challenge religious dogmas that no longer make sense in order to make way for the more sophisticated truths that faith can enable. Averroes, we see, paid a price for doing this. So to move towards a conclusion here, today we may not think of academic life as overly brave. For the most part, scholars are not courageous truth-tellers who go against the prevailing currents or cultural critics charged with taking on the religious or political establishment. But many philosophers of the past, like Averroes, and even some in the present, for sure, continually challenge religion to live up to its claim of holding the highest form of truth. Perhaps we should allow these philosophers to inspire courage in us to reevaluate some of the mainstream ways of thinking as well. Friends, here's the last thing I want to say before we open up the conversation, which is just that, um, you know, it doesn't seem as imperative to reinterpret um, theology um, in line with reason when it is, um, there's no moral implications, right? Does it really matter what, um, one, what one believes about creationism versus evolutionism or something in between? Okay, it's interesting, but are there really major moral, uh, more, is there a major moral impact? On the other hand, if somebody wants to take a, an ancient view of the value of women um, in comparison to the value of men, um, because their religion says so, right, that women are inferior, um, we can see a major moral, you know, major moral implications and many other cases like that. And so um, 
um, or on warfare. How do we think about um, you know just warfare or thinking about responsibility to our own versus responsibility to the other? We might conclude we're more responsible to our child than someone else's child. And so I'm going to leave some inheritance to my child, not somebody else's child, perhaps. But in, in saving lives in the world, do I save three lives of somebody of my people, however I think of my people, versus saving two lives, excuse me, three lives of my people versus saving five lives of someone else's people, so to speak? How do we think about the value of life? And in an ancient sense, we have different responsibilities. And so when reason and, and, and theology contradict, okay, it's interesting, and we should talk about that. But when reason, uh, excuse me, when revelation or religion and our sense of ethics as it overlaps with reason contradict, we may experience uh, a higher imp intellectual imperative to, to get to work. Awesome. When we get to Wittgenstein later, we're going to talk about language, about what this, like these language games. But even before then, with, with Kant and, and Hume, we're going to see kind of what's guiding reason. Is emotion guiding reason? Is reason guiding emotion? Um, what's actually happening over there? And, um, and, 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 and Gary, so it's really helpful to think like, what is this reason anyways? In their day, there was a prevailing sense of scholarly reason that they're engaging. And so reason was also kind of a fundamentalist thing. Like reason meant you believe in certain you know, layers of logic. Um, but in our day, if you're an empiricist, right? You're a scientist, your sense of reason might be very different than if you're a soft scientist, if you're a psychologist, right? Um, or, you know, um, you know, and with a whole a bunch of other examples. And also think about the whole notion, as I put in the chat, of personal reasons. What does it mean personal reasons? I'm resigning for personal reasons, right? That, that, that's not in the realm of reason as much as the realm of kind of my own reasoning, right? Can, some justification we can find for what's happening. And so, um, yeah, what do we do with that? So once we're outside of the fundamentalist sense of making life decisions, what do we do with the sense that there's no clear consensus at all on what's reasonable? Um, how do we even, you know, have an inside and outside of what's of what's reasonable? And thankfully, I think Judaism is constantly challenging us to question what's in the realm of reasonable. Um, most certainly, reasonable doesn't mean the social conformity of our day. Um, it's reasonable. I mean, some people meet, think of it that way. What's reasonable is what most people do, right? As opposed to what's kind of a good thing to do. But reasonable also doesn't mean ethical. Oh, it's reasonable that that person chose to do that, but it might be unethical what they're choosing to do, even though it's reasonable. Um, so anyways, great, great. Uh, yeah, very well said. I think that in the options we gave earlier, it's choosing one side or adjusting the other side. Um, and I think what Gary brings us is keeping the struggle alive, I think is, is really powerful. Um, another word we might throw in, um, which is not, which might do away with the struggle or it might not is paradox, living with paradox, um, which I know I very much value, um, living with conflicting truths or incompatible truths. And um, wow, it's like you had a dad who was really bad to you as a child. But also there's a sense of you that love that dad. Like you can just hold both of those. You don't have to demonize him and nor do you have to just uh, um, wipe away his imperfections and the hurt, hurt he did. We can live with the complexity of people that this is a person who really hurt me and this is a person I love. And so too with ideas, right? In fact, your example of creation, I love creationism and I most certainly believe in evolution and I have no need to choose one over the other. 
for me, creationism is not a historical or scientific truth. It's a moral and spiritual teaching. It's a moral and spiritual teaching, which doesn't contradict the, the, sci the science of the day. And so I'm very happy living with creationism and evolution in a way where they add to each other. Um, so too, as a particularist and a universalist, I don't, it's not a conflict. I don't choose one or the, or the other. It's a paradox. I live as a, as a global um, cosmopolitan, as a human being who's connected to all humanity. And I live as a Jew who has a unique relationship to Jews in a certain sense. And so, yeah, so thank you so much for that. I'm so glad you brought that in. Great, great. And I think that that's really helpful. Like, we don't have to decide, am I a devout believer in God who is certain, or am I a hard atheist who is certain? Like, we can live with a sense of wonder. Like, science tells me this. It seems pretty unreasonable. There's a God controlling this world. And perhaps, perhaps, or, and spiritually, I feel connected to this idea, you know, and I feel um, you know, a sense of mystery and wonder. And I think that that is um, a great contribution of modernity as well, to live with those multiple truths. And so here we see a varies how it moved things forward and yet how we can go even further, how we can go even further and holding on to all of this. And, um, you know, like here's another, like here's another, uh, you know, I'm not gonna give that example. It'll be too controversial. <laughs> not that I shy away for controversies, but um, you know, I think we've hit our time. So friends, great to be with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Um, wonderful to learn with you as always and to hear from you all and can't wait to see you next week.